This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. The best ideas come about 20 seconds too late in my experience. Scott Owen. There's a mute button, people, don't worry. And Adam Pace. Well, look, I'm going to feel like you know, I, I'm going to shot Barbie's mother. Starting now. Well, it was a weekend of mixed results for the Raw on their long weekend travels, but thankfully... There were three points to come home from at least one of the teams and plenty of discussion points to come from another defeat by the other. Hello, everyone. And it is time for another episode of the Brisbane Football Review. James Scott and Adam on a humid, sticky, miserable Tuesday night. And, well, we've got plenty to get to. But uh, first of all, Adam, up your neck of the world. It's a little bit damp and a little bit underwater. I'm assuming you're in one piece. You've got the snorkel on. Yeah, God's country was underwater for today for, in large pockets. But yeah, I think uh, we we got we got through. It's not not the worst day we've seen, but uh, yeah, uh, it best yeah, very very uh, sort of touching moment, especially uh, overnight. Three three hundred millimeters of rain in three hours. So that's uh, a lot. I know uh, Mike Pagola got flooded, but uh, certainly uh, by no by no means uh, is, am, am I suffering compared to some some other people in the uh, in this neighborhood. See, I thought you were crazy building that ark in your backyard, but look at you now, uh, swaying back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, but you're all good. Meanwhile, I'm also joined by Scott. I wish I had something more creative to introduce you with, but I used up all my creativity on Adam's intro. That's right. Don't boost his ego, James. I mean, seriously, come on. But no, good to talk to you, James, Adam. Good to, good to talk to you. Not the yeah. reasonably good weekend for the Raw. Not, good, not great, not perfect, but we'll talk about it anyway. Yes, well, that's kind of what we're here to do, and we may as well get right into it. But before we uh, get into that, and probably should start off with a plug, as the local football seasons around Queensland are starting up soon. So uh, may as well give a plug, because coming soon will be our NPL women's season preview. I think we're going to be recording that next week, because the NPL women's season starts the weekend of February 9, 10, 11. And we'll have our NPL men's season preview in the week leading up to that uh, season launch as well and on top of our regular A-League focus show which we're doing now there will also be the industry leading NPL Sunday night show uh, your home for all of the best NPL analysis uh, featuring Scott and Adam and an occasional cameo from myself but yeah another busy NPL season coming up for the Brisbane Football Review it is the check is in the mail James just don't cash it <laughs> that's a post <laughs> That's a post-dated check, you know. Don't cash it till the year 3,000. <laughs> At least. At least 3,000. All right, let's get started. Uh, let's go chronologically, actually, because I want to start off on a positive note, and that positivity came down at Marconi Stadium on Saturday afternoon as the Raw picked up a much-needed 3-1 win over the Wanderers of Western Sydney. And, well, the first note I have for this game, Adam, is that's more like it. Is it more like it? Uh, it is. I think that uh, the side, this women's side was threatening to do that for a number of weeks and it finally stuck. And uh, eight from eight at Marconi, at Marconi Stadium. Can we bring the stadium home? Because uh, they've had a very, very good record at that ground, but also felt that this was, was probably the occasion where um, that you know, Western Sydney were in good form coming into this game so the fact that they were actually able to sort of get get the three points I think is a very very good result and perhaps it may be the start of something if they can sort of um, convert it uh, coming up this weekend 
Yeah, that's what we were talking about last week, wasn't it, James? When we were saying they created a lot of chances away to Perth, but they didn't take them. On this occasion, they did. And it was really good to see them do that because they needed it, as we said last week on the show. But this was a really, really good performance away from home. Against the Wanderers, though, which have been pretty good this year, they are in and around the finals positions. And that was a very good performance on the road. And yeah, as I said, they've got a great record at Marconi Stadium. And it'd be nice to see something similar to that up here in the future. But yeah, they played really well away from home. And the fluency working through the line started to really click and I think to me Hjelt's a big part of that obviously but it seemed like at the start of the year obviously there was the whole World Cup which would have been incredibly taxing on her and the whole squad because of the amount of effort they put into that that whole campaign and maybe it's seen her start a little bit slower plus there's the two international breaks she's been through but the last couple of weeks we've really starting to see the best of her in this side as she realises the way she needs to play to get this team to be the, their absolute best and now that we're getting that, the combination between her and Stevenson and Corbin and some of the other players is growing really nicely. So now that we're seeing the best of this team, I think it could be good signs ahead. Yeah, she is really functioning now as that linchpin, that midfield general. That uh, It was a massive hole Katrina Gorry left in that role last season, but Yallop is really starting to... It feels weird saying grow into it for a seasoned veteran and an accomplished Matilda, but... You're right, it was a slow start to the season, interrupted by injury, just workload management. I know that might be considered a curse to plenty of people, but yeah, that that metronome-like midfield is so important now for them, and having Yallop, who on a day can be the best player on the pitch, regardless of who they're playing against, like that that's why she's here, but I'm just looking at the table now, Adam, and that was a win that the Raw absolutely needed to have. It it put them up only up into ninth place, I accept, but it kept the gap on the Wanderers to... It closed the gap on the Wanderers to three points, and as it stands now with another eight games remaining, they are six points off second place Sydney FC and third place Western United, and three points behind Western Sydney Wanderers who are in sixth place. Yeah, this was a big, big win as well as far as their uh, season as their sort of season prospects go, they, they lose this game, and it's it's almost... Uh, we're now talking in mathematical terms of top six, so it was a, a really big win, and also, as well, as I said, it's a scalp inside the, the top six as well, so it's almost that belief in a way. It's, it's one thing to get the win over, you know, over a Newcastle, even though they, they lost that game, or, um, like, they, they do have wins, have wins over um, Melbourne victory, and... Uh, and, and Sydney. So to, to get another scalp in the top four, I think that's a, a, a big a big effort. No, I think it might be the catalyst. Yeah, and they've got big games coming up as well. Looking at the table, James, they've got Melbourne Victory, who are just above them on the table this weekend, and they've got Western United, who are away from home the week after. So they've got some big games coming up, but the way they're playing the last couple of weeks, they look like they're a side who are building momentum. That's something we've been waiting for to happen all season long with this team, and we know that at their best, they're plenty good enough to be in and around the top six. So now that they are building that momentum, I think these next couple of games will be really, really crucial, starting with three points aimed to Melbourne victory on, on Saturday evening. Yeah, and that is absolutely paramount for them going forward, where they need to really start to push. And we've seen in previous years, they've made their runs for the finals. It's just started a little bit too late. But I think this is also where we can be a little bit thankful for the full home and away season because it means the Raw have that extra the extra room to manoeuvre. And 
while I hope they don't need it, it does give Alex Smith and his players that little bit of a margin for error going forward. And their run in is actually pretty good as well, James. And in, the, in their last three games, they have games against Adelaide and Canberra, who are down the bottom of the table as things stand. So, and they've got a fair few home games as well to end the season as well. So if they can get through this patch of games against the Melbourne side the next couple of weeks, I think they've got three out of the last four at home. So they've certainly got real scope to make a, that late push, not just into the six, but potentially even that top four if things really break their way. But it's certainly on for them to get into, into the top six somewhere. For sure. Now, as for the game itself, uh, Kaya Stevenson, who has played like she's got a uh, rocket strapped to her back in the last couple of weeks and becoming more and more influential, she opened the scoring uh, just after 10 minutes and started to think, oh, this, this could be a bit of fun, Adam. Yeah, the ball from Tamika Yalp was, abso- was absolute money. And uh, you said before about you know, Tamika Yalp sort of starting to... to fit in. I actually think it's the other way around. I think that the team around her is starting to fit into how Tamika Yalp is playing and Kaya Stevenson's probably the, the, the biggest beneficiary of that. You know, Sean Fry has always done her own thing, you know, coming off the, off the left wing and, and so Mia Corbin, but uh, Kaya, Kaya Stevenson's sort of, it's become that, so that linchpin player where you know, you've you probably at the end of the day would not expect too much from her being a young player, but she's really sort of stepped up. And the fact that she was able to finish off um, from beautiful ball from Tamiki Yalp to open the scoring, I think was was uh, wonderful to see. I think, as as we keep on saying, it has been building for a while that uh, Kai has had some opportunities, and she's starting to show confidence that she can bury him. She can bury him from you now from anywhere. It's not just that either. You mentioned the ball from Tamiki Yallop through to Kai Stevenson. The ball from Ruby Cuthbert before that to find Tamiki Yallop to, to split the lines of the midfield to give Tamiki Yallop space to move running forward was also really, really crucial. The whole move actually was really well executed from, from the right. And again, it's another sign of the way of the way Alex Smith wants the team to play starting to really take hold with this, with this group. And perhaps just as importantly as well, you're getting players back now and creating that like, uh, that competition for spots. There's one I'll mention in particular a little bit later, but you know, the Wanderers pulled one back and went into half-time level, but at that point, I, I still felt quite confident about the Raw's chances to go on with it, and in the immediate uh, aftermath of uh, the half-time break, Yallop and Corbin put it away with a quick-fire double, and from there, it was basically just... It almost felt like it was that scene out of The Simpsons. You know when Bart's fighting Nelson, and Nelson just puts his hand on Bart's forehead so he can't get anywhere near him? Kind of felt like the Raw were playing Nelson Muntz in that point. Yeah, and that, that was something... Going into half-time after Holly Casper scored for Wanderers, I sort of felt as though this is, the, this is probably the problem with the Raw where they're at the moment. Going to half-time is the fact is that they did so much work to, 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 to dominate, to establish dominance in the game, and then it was just a simple run-out of numbers in defence where uh, Holly Casper basically uh, was able to fire past Jordan Silkwitz. But that, that first 10 minutes after the second half, it really sort of laid fears. And they and uh, the, the goal by Tamiki Alp and then Mia Corbin uh, back-to-back. After that, I did, the roar then never looked like even being, being sort of threatened after that. So I think that's a real sign of, you know, where is that? And I'd, I'd love to know what Alex Smith said to him at at half-time, because that was really uh, a turning point. Those two early goals pretty much put the game to bed. I'll tell you what, Smith's half-time talks appear to be quite effective because there's been multiple occasions in the last couple of months, Scott, where we've seen this side come out of the second half almost like they've all ingested about three or four tablets of no-dose. 
they've become a really good second half team, haven't they? The Brisbane Royal Boons team. And to your point, Alex Smith's words at half time clearly have a big part to play in that. It's also worth mentioning the Wanderers probably should have led the game at half time with Marley Morris having a, oh, a yeah. guilt edge chance, which she skied over the Doesn't bar from about a yard out, which was quite astonishing effort to actually do that. But the they were ruthless in the second half early in the early in the second half of the Royal. And that's the all been really waiting for from this team is to when they get their chances and they have their spells of dominance to actually make it count and put games away. And that's what they haven't been doing in the in previous games. Is what you you were talking about last week, James, with the Perth game. They had their chances, they didn't didn't take them, and now they are doing that. That's the that's the best sign of it. And I think you're right. The second half appears to be the Raw's strongest period of the game, particularly that 15, 20 minutes directly after half time. Yeah, which is. It could be a million reasons why that is. It could be Alex Smith's team talk. It could be the halftime break re- re-energizes them. It could be just the way things are going. It could be many different things, but I'm very curious to find out exactly what that is because you're right. The early phase of the second half, they've been really, really dominant. Yeah, and uh, that 3-1 lead also allowed them to get a few minutes into the legs of Mariel Hecker, who is patiently working her way back, I'll admit. I was about one or two weeks off asking on the show, are we sure she's going to really feature for the rest of the season? But given her potential impact, you want to make sure she's good to go. And it is a great player to be welcoming back into the team uh, as they prepare for the run home, Scott. It is absolutely. And we know that what Mariel Hecker can bring to this team is is a really, really impactful player. Whether it, I don't know who she would replace at the moment because the players playing in her area of the field... Stephenson and Yalpa playing so well at the moment it gives you that luxury of bringing her back at a slower pace when she's ready to do so we have seen in the past players rush back quickly from ACL injuries and they pick up other niggling injuries on the back of that so the Raw have been really clever to not push her until she's ready but if now she's ready to play some serious minutes off the bench initially that's a really good big impact player to add at this stage of the season that other clubs aren't going to have an impact player coming back into their squad at this stage of the year who can make this sort of impact for them. What she can bring to the team in the last eight games could be really, really significant. Whether it's as a player making that impact off the bench for the last 30 minutes or she ends up taking a starting role remains to be seen, but she's certainly going to have an impact over the remainder of the season. I think also as well, yeah, it's a great luxury to have. And at the moment, it's not only, not only in the midfield where, where do you put Mariel Hecker? I, I think that uh, for a while, yeah, I still think that she's going to play that off-the-bench role. Uh, probably for, uh, for for Kaya Stevenson, probably uh, almost pre, pre-programmed 60-30 sort of uh, uh, regime, but also our, our back as well. You know, Ruby Cuthbert, last couple of games, she has been absolutely sensational. She, she backed up her, her great performance in Perth with another sort of uh, strong performance. Perhaps... Um, to not cutting, not um, not sort of cutting off uh, Malia Morris that led to the uh, first goal. Maybe you know, that maybe sort of you know a bit of a criticism, but but uh, that's probably the only thing I can think of. Other than that, she's been very solid, and it did cancel out because that that ball she found to Mickey Alp as well. So she's going well with Leah Scarpelli uh, due to come back from concussion protocols as well. Uh, all of a sudden, Alex Smith's actually got a few selection headaches, which, and they're certainly not bad selection headaches to have. Yeah, well, I was going to uh, mention Ruby Cuthbert as well, and you almost feel a little bit bad for Scarpelli, where it's not like her play was mm. poor to the point where you were desperately trying to get her out of the team. It just felt like it was a bit of a uh, head knock, but, well, it was a head knock, 
it was a concussion, but yeah, it's good now where you've got four players for the three spots, and you've got options as well. Um, Scott, you've got your <laughs> three two ones for this game. I do. I'll keep it pretty quick because we need to move on. But our three points for Tamiki Allop, two for Kai Stevenson, and one for Ruby Cuthbert. There were plenty of other contenders, but they're the three I went for. For sure. And uh, I just have one around the A League thought uh, from the women's thing. Uh, Newcastle Jets uh, did their puppy um, entrance as well for I think the RSPCA, um, which was again awesome. And I think yeah, that that was my favourite visual of the weekend as well. Walking out with the dogs. Although they're they're zero and two in that uh, in that fixture where they have the adopt the dog thing, but certainly not as uh, the I should say the scoreline was not as bad as last year. But uh, look, you're right. I'm an animal lover, and I think it's a great cause. And yes, adopt. I'll go for one other because I, I agree with you on that. I'll just go for Wellington, who had the goalkeeper Riley Foster sent off, and they brought on the reserve goalkeeper Bree Edwards with the first touch of the ball, making a penalty save. Is always a great impact from a substitute goalkeeper. So I'll go with that. In addition to what you're referring to, uh, just yeah. talking about Bree Edwards as well. Uh, her po- her post game interview was uh, was gold. Little me up. Yes. All right. Well, that's it for the women's recap. Now let's bring on the men and it was more of the same and we'll move on to the news segment I think (laughs) Uh, yeah it was 2-0 defeat against the Mariners down in Gosford I mean we feel like it feels like we've reached this point in each of the last few seasons but same old same old what new thing can we proffer yes it was an improved performance on previous efforts but it still wasn't enough I like I feel like I'm going back and forth on a seesaw here where yeah a lot of the issues that caused them to lose the game were the ones that have been popping up yes they were better than in previous games but they still lost I mean if I'm grading it out it was probably a C C plus effort overall Scott does that seem about fair? Oh somewhere around there I think they were better to start the game no doubt about that they were much more energised in that first 15 to 20 minutes which is something that Ben Carr was clearly looking for he mentioned it last week in after the Newcastle game they didn't weren't starting games particularly well he mentioned it uh, in the post game this time that that was one of the real positives that they started the game better so that was improvement but again in transition defensively they're just they're still getting picked off a bit too easily aren't they and that's the real big concern for from my point of view with the raw side at the moment is that defensively in transition teams are just getting into space in that they're attacking third and they're making the raw pay and it's becoming very very much a pattern that teams are, teams are following around the league. Adam? Uh, I'll, I'll take it from a different angle and basically say this is the gap between probably a top two, top three team in Central Coast Mariners. Uh, ten, ten games unbeaten in the league, 12 in all competitions. Um, they're, they're just a very, very good team. They're a very, very well-coached team. They're a very, very well-drilled team. And compared to the Raw, who at the moment, I think are still a long, long way from being a, even a, a team as far as going, you know, like they, they may, you know, luck out and get the bottom end of the finals. But, you know, they, they, 
based on sort of performances like this, uh, and just overall as a, as a side, the way they're performing, um, they're, they're just going to be cannon fodder for for teams up top uh, if if they do even make the finals because uh, the the golf at the moment, while they, they said they were good patches, um, it would have been a very very interesting game had Tommy Waddingham, who uh, sort of you know, came off the bench, and if had buried that chance of five minutes to go, uh, it may have been a different game, but. Uh, Look, those those moments are too far, few and far between. Central Coast Mariners, for the most part, were you know head shoulders better than the Raw on uh, Saturday night. Yeah, and again, it's sort of the part where I'm maybe consoling myself is the wrong word to use, but the Mariners are as good as it gets in the A League at the moment. Like front mm. to back, they've got that production line coming through. Uh, they've got good recruiting to be able to offset the departures. Excuse me. Um, yeah, it, it came against a good team. And yeah, you're right, the Raw aren't at that level. But I think the two issues that stood out for me, the lack of speed in defence, which, Scott, you've already mentioned. But right now, it just feels like... You know, I saw the graphic come up. Uh, more possession, more passes, more shots. And for what? Like, it's great that they're holding onto the ball, but... The constant chopping and changing of the starting 11, the bench players, really has not helped. But at some point, you've just got you've got to find a way to work through it as well. And eventually, like, some of these guys have to... Well, I hate to say... I hate to phrase it this way, but sort of got to justify their position in the team. Oh, I think also as well, I think the one thing that it was... Um, that I think we sort of glossed over the fact is that... This side at the moment, the 11 that ran out against um, Central Coast Mariners, there is no creativity. And that's because one one of their creators is injured, the other one was suspended. Like, you know, with all, with all due respect... Um, Two was suspended well, if you count Yelisic. Well, yeah, he, he can. He also as well could have made a bit of a difference from that attacking sort of um, that side. But when you're, when you're asking, you know, a Kai Truen or Joe Coletti to be your, um, I guess, you know, your creator, at least coming out from defence. Um, look, they're, they're both fine players, but they're not they're not built that way. And um, look, Joe Kelly did the best he could, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, I think we're heartened by the performance that, you know, it was only it was only two goals. And you know, the, the second goal was a, you know, a counter-attack a, a counter-attack sort of, you know, in, in sort of, you know, approaching 90 minutes. So, Look, I think defensively it was a good, it was a good effort, but um, attacking, they really didn't have anything. Um, I, I will just say a third goal would have been really, really useful uh, for me to get the tip right from my work preview, but that's just me. Scott? Well, that, that, it's all about your work preview tipping. That's the most important thing yep. here in this discussion. I will also say, you mentioned I was talking about the speed of the defence. I was talking about the whole team defensively in transition. They're just not collectively at getting back quick enough to cut out space and to track the runners. And that's the that's the thing that's become evident in the MacArthur game, in the Newcastle game, and also the uh, Central Coast game is players are particularly some of the wide attacking players are getting a lot of space. And that's not necessarily purely down to the fullbacks. It's a whole team defense. So it's a it's a whole team issue, but that's one of the biggest concerns I have and I I do agree with what Adam said about the creativity. Henry Hall was back making his first start. That was a good scene back in the lineup, but he's still getting back up to match sharpness, and hopefully there's some more creativity this week with O'Shea back and maybe a new signing, which we'll 
talk about in a few minutes. Yeah, I... So, they did make a couple of changes that I was quite impressed by uh, in terms of just making that move. Giving James Nikolovsky a chance from the start and moving Kai Truen into that holding midfield role, I do think those two moves worked. Like, Nikolovsky, still very much a project in development, but in theory, pairing him with Tom Aldred is... Like with uh, Kai Truant there in front of him shielding, he's about as good of a landing spot as you can get, and especially with the experience of Jack Hingett on the other side as well, you're giving him as much of an opportunity for success as you can with that experience when they're you know keeping that level head. And I thought Truant in midfield was excellent, even though you know it's still the question of what is his best position. And yeah, Coletti did his best, but. I'm not entirely sure Parsons works as a 10. I, I want to see him moved out to uh, one of the uh, wings rather than playing through the middle. But the problem is, with such a glut of wingers, even with the injury crisis at the moment, you've almost just got to put him in the lineup and just say, do something. But, yeah. It, was, like, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all doom and gloom. But it still was a frustrating outcome. And... We'll get to the weekend preview soon, but it's it, it's not really great. It's not great uh, in the short term either, as well. But we'll just have to uh, wait and see what happens. Um, in the interest of keeping this moving and um, getting me downstairs for dessert, um, I'll go on to my three-two-one votes for the match because uh, I think we've got a discussion topic coming up that may take up a few minutes. I'm looking at you, Scott. <laughs> Uh, my three, two, ones for the game. Uh, Kai Truen, Joe Coletti, and Tommy Waddingham. I thought, again, like toiling without result for uh, Waddingham, but you could see what a difference he made uh, with that press in the game as well. Now, around the A League thoughts, there are three letters which we kind of have to talk about given the way it's uh, dominated the local news cycle. But what well, R E D? Well, in a way, yes. I didn't realise you were such a swifty, Scott. Um, that was one. I want Kansas City for the Super Bowl. That, That's all I'll say. That was one of her albums. Come on, Adam. you Niners. <laughs> Is it? Okay. Well, there you go. Um, anyway. Um, yeah, VAR. Look, we could spend the next hour getting frustrated about how it's been used and the impact it's had. But I want to stay constructive. So, this is for the two of you. Assuming you cannot just bin it entirely because that kind of, you know, just kills the discussion right there, Scott, I'm looking at you. Adam, we'll go to you first. Assuming you're keeping VAR, how would you change the implementation of it? Because my philosophy still remains the same. VAR as a system, in theory, is great. What has let it down so far has been the implementation of it. So what would you change in terms of how it is used in football? It's very simple for me. Um, simply, the authorities need to recognise what VAR actually stands for. And the middle one, the A, is assistant. Video assistant referee. So why has it devolved? I don't know when it happened, how it happened over the last uh, decade. I think we've had VAR where basically the VAR, and this is not just Australia, this is worldwide, this is in FIFA competitions, you know, UEFA, Champions League, a lot. Where well, what stage did the VAR become a shadow referee? Where basically it is there basically 
prosecuting the game, and then any time that they feel that they, as in in the booth, feel as though they that the, the central referee made a mistake, that they are recommending uh, decisions. It would then try and then convince through slow mo replays, a dozen different you know, angles, to re-referee the game. And I think that's what's killing the game at the moment. At the end of the day, VAR is a very, very simple tool. It's there to assist the central referee to remove the howls from the game, the obvious ones. But very, very, but in the last few years, and especially in the A-League, and we see it in the Premier League as well in England, it's a case of, the, the it seems like the VAR is basically re-refereeing the game behind the central referee on the pitch, and it's, and it's interference. And I think that's what frustrates the fans more than anything. I think, at the end of the day, most reasonable fans can accept the fact that referees are human, they can only see what they can see, and if unless they actually ask for that assistance, then VAR should stay out of it. If it means that, that a VAR operator does not nothing for 90 minutes, you know what? I say good. Scott? I agree with Adam. Adam's last sentence. If VAR does nothing for 90 minutes, I say good. I say thank goodness. But I have a serious answer and a joke answer. I'll start with the, the less serious answer. James, I'd turn the VAR booth into like a little PlayStation Xbox thing and let, let kids play play um FIFA or something on the on the big screen. That's what I would actually use it for if I had my way. But if I have to actually keep it as a referee mechanism, I kind of agree with Adam. I do not want them reaching out to the referee and saying, I think this is a red card, or I think this, or I think that. No, you're not the central referee. If you want to make those decisions, pick up your whistle, get out on the field and referee the game. You're there to assist. It should be up to the referee to say, hey, I want to have a look at this. Have you Show me the best angle of this incident. So let's take the Patrick Wood thing as the example, just purely for the sake of discussion. The referee thinks about it and says, well, I'm not 100% sure what to do here on this one. He goes over and says, show me your best replay angles of that incident. Not slow-mo. Don't slow it down. Don't make any recommendations or comments. Just show me the replay of it, and I'll make the decision when I look at it on the screen. That's what it should be used for. And the other thing I would say, James, 30 seconds. That's it. You've got 30 seconds to, to, to look at it, and if it's beyond that, too bad. Yeah, yeah. Because that's not clear and obvious. Look, I've just spent two weeks watching the Australian Open tennis, and that system is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I think it gets a lot more wrong than people give it credit for, but it's quick and it's unobtrusive to the game. right? It, and people just accept it as fact and move on. So if they were going to keep this system, stop making recommendations in the booth and get it done quicker. Because it's taking too long, and I think, it's, I think it is genuinely having an impact on people's enjoyment of watching the A-League. Because how often do you see people criticising the system and bemoaning it and saying it takes too long, it makes ridiculous decisions, they're over-refereeing, they're re-refereeing. Scale it right back. Referees ask for it when they want to see a replay, and it takes no more than 30 seconds. That's it. If you want more than that, then I'm going to find a nice big cruise ship and send it out in the ocean, and they can referee out there. Hey, don't keep them away from my I've cruise I've had enough ships. of it. Okay, so I was going to sort of follow those sorts of lines because, again, like we all follow other sports as well and mm. I'm, I draw it back to what I see a lot of the time in rugby union where the TMO, it feels like, is watching the game on about a 10-15 second delay. They'll notice something and go, oh, hang on, uh, excuse me to go back and uh, you might want to check this out. I've got something up or I've got something up on the big screen for you. And that process, it just feels like you're... 
you know, funnily enough with rugby union, it feels like you've got a lawyer arguing the case with a predetermined outcome. You've got the uh, images up on the big screen saying, I think you've got this factor, this factor, this factor. So therefore it has to be this without considering the context. Like again, in the uh, rugby, in the rugby union scenario where you've got contact with the head, but it doesn't necessarily, like you have, they do consider mitigation for if a player say slips. But again, the, yeah, and it, that's sort of the same thing with Patrick Wood, where yes, by the letter of the law, it might have met the threshold for a red card with a high foot, studs showing and whatnot, but also need a little bit of that common sense to come back. Anyway, Scott, you just want to clarify one thing before I go into my solution. Yeah, because you listen you, when you actually, when the A leagues actually put out any of these things, and when they, and they only ever put them out when it's something that makes the referees look good and the process look good. They don't put out things that are controversial. They won't put out the Patrick Wood one from this weekend. But the the discussion from the video referee is it's kind of what Adam was saying. It's really really clear. So like, we think this. We recommend this. They're pushing a referee to make a decision, and that's not right. That is not what they are there for. And if I I don't think if I was a referee, I wonder how much power they'd say. No, I don't. I don't agree with you, because I've I've yet to see a referee genuinely push back and say no. I disagree with you, or I'm going to stick with my original decision because I'm happy with it. You don't see that. It's once the VAR gets involved, it's almost like whatever they say goes, and that's not what it should be. Yeah, it's a confirmation process rather than an evaluation. I actually yeah. want to hear. Like, I actually want to hear, like, and that we talk about other sports. I, I look at the original, I guess, you know, video technology for officiating, and that's, and that's cricket. And, you know, I, and look, the third umpire is certainly nowhere near perfect. And, they, and over time, over many years, it's, it's made some absolute howlers. But again, that is a case of the third umpire only steps in when the when the well it's actually with the players ask for it on a lot of occasions because they feel it's wrong but the point i'm making is that at least you can hear the conversation between the third umpire and you know and and so what their deliberation what is going on i can guarantee you that if football started to publish the like actually either live or at least in tv um start actually recording and actually uh i guess having those conversations between the uh, referee and the video referee, I reckon that, as Scott's saying, those words, I recommend you do this, and all that, I reckon that will suddenly disappear. Because you do not want, I don't think football's ready to say, oh, that the video referee, that the VAR in the booth has more power than the, the central referee on the pitch. Well, okay. Again, we could go on this for a while. I, I sort of go back and forth on my two preferred systems. The first one is... The referee has to, or the assistants running the sideline, has to refer incidents upstairs, or at least say, hey, can you uh, give me a replay of XYZ? Like, so make the referrals and the decisions lying with the on field officiating team, because that's how it has been prior to VAR. The assistants did have the power to make certain calls, or I'm going to go for something different anything it's reviewable however uh, each team gets uh, three challenges and a maximum of two per half so if you've got some 
you know, uh, hothead coach that decides to burn through their challenges, you know, by the 50th minute and then there's nothing they can do, uh, then that's on them. Make it one challenge. You get one challenge per 90 minutes, an, ex- an extra one if it goes into extra time. Well, If you want to waste it in the first 10 minutes on a 50-50 penalty and it goes wrong, too bad. Well, my original theory was actually three challenges and if you get one wrong, you lose a substitution. Oof. Substitution or, sub- or substitution window because that's even more brutal. I would. I just had it as substitution because that felt appropriately punitive. But it's a simple. It would be a simple situation there where, if, like, say, you know, Ben Khan or Graham Harvey or Richard Greer feels like the rule should have had a penalty in say the twenty seventh minute, they go to the fourth official and say next break, like before the next break in play, they can say I want to challenge that. And as you described it, Scott. 30 seconds to review it. If it's clear and obvious, yep, penalty. If not, okay, you're down to four subs. That that would be like my, my alternate alternate system after the referee saying, I ne- I'm going to need to see that again. Can I just play devil's advocate on one thing? Because the whole thing was to rectify the howler decision. If the VA, if the referee makes a misses misses a clear handball, for example, and the VAR notices it, how does that get fixed because that's the only thing it's actually any good for is when something is clearly wrong and a referee somehow misses it which happens like once every year at best but I reckon but I reckon that's that would the, I reckon that wouldn't matter because it feels that obvious you would have be you would have 11 it? players almost screaming at the referee hey you missed something go check it go check it and that would probably prompt the referee as you said in my perfect scenario, or at least the scenario I was looking at, is that the referee, it probably was enough doubt in their mind to say, okay, these players, like, you've got, you know, 10 players blowing up the locks. Have, have I missed something? Hey, I'm going to go to the VAR and say, hey, can you just check this for me? I'm not sure what's going on. And, you know, and that, that's where I think it is. I, I think, I think, you know, having challenge systems and all that, I think it's a case of, the referee needs to establish a better relationship with the players. If there's an obvious one, I tell you what, the players, especially at the professional level, they they will let the referee know, hey, you better check this because I think you've stuffed up big time. Yeah, and also like going back to the Pat Pat Wood thing, and after this we'll move on. I was just looking back at what you and I were talking about on Saturday morning after the big blue Adam. It felt like there almost had to be a red card because of the fact the game was stopped for so long. But I I can't help but wonder, if Adam Kersey went over to Tony Popovich and said, yeah, look, like, my bad, that should have been a foul. I didn't see it. You know, my bad, but... And then we'll just play on. Would there have been any blowback on that? Because, yeah, that... Like, if that got called for a foul, I think that's a... Uh, that, Okay, so be it. And if you're Sydney FC, you're going, that kind of sucks. But it doesn't become the national event. Anyway. Yeah. That's, that's I think it does, because people are always complain about references. This is what you said well, last week. Okay. Whether it's VAR or no VAR, yeah. they're going to complain one way or the other. So I think, yes, there would have still been some complaint from the Melbourne Victory camp on that one, regardless of, of that discussion. I still think they would have had a bit of a complaint about it, particularly because they dropped points at home. Communication's yeah. the key, I think. That's, at the end of the day, you can defuse a lot of situations if the whole conversation between the referee and the VAR wasn't a state secret. Yeah, and also just, again, if the referees are 
Like, you always hear Alex King talked about as one of the premier referees, and it's because he can communicate with the players so yeah. well. I agree. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how Ali Reza Fagani's communication went at the Asian Cup overnight, but... Uh, oh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. What is um, it with Australian badge referees and the Asian Cup and Iraq? Oh, God. All, all I, all I was... It was Iran, wasn't it? It was Ben Williams in Iran, wasn't it? Iran versus Iraq. Yeah, but Iraq got the benefit. Oh, no, 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 but I mean, it was, the, it was a game featuring Iraq. Yeah, well, no, all I was... Yeah, Ben Williams, yeah. Yeah, all I will say is, um, you know, at least the A-League, or what's left of the A-League's uh, social team will have their uh, performance and engagement metrics met for probably the next three or four years. Um, now, a couple of hours ago, the Raw did announce another mid-season acquisition, and it will be... Marco Rojas, who, Scott, I believe is a former Johnny Warren medalist? I think he is, yes, from his days at Melbourne Victory. He got that, I believe. So these are very interesting signings. I think he was overplaying in Chile with Colo Colo, which is a big club over in that part of the world. So he's a, a very good, good good signing in the terms of his history in the A-League is very impressive. He burst onto the scene at Wellington, but his best football was at Melbourne Victory. And if he can provide what he did for them, that would be very interesting i just i'm very curious where he fits in because it yeah, sounds can we get like to that a... in a second scott i just yep. i because the first thing i wanted to uh talk about before we moved on to where he fits in but six months sign or five months signing now or whatever it is adam does it feel like he's just getting himself fit to pl- uh, sign for auckland in june yeah this is a very very short-term deal um i would not expect any long-term benefit other than he's going to try the best he can to help the Raw potentially get into the top six, make the team better. It, it, this is this is one of these short-term deals where you, know, you see this a lot. In the, it's almost a Premier League-esque type of signing where you're trying to either you know, push on to win a title or you're trying to uh, stave off relegation and get and get and get safe. That, that's that's to me what this sort of thing. It, it, and like I said, this is a it's almost a placating sort of signing, you know. Look, the fan some of the fans are always gonna whinge and complain. They're gonna they're gonna nitpick at this, um, and whatnot. But at the end of the day, yeah, you're right. This is this is a this is a six month deal. It'll probably get him fit. I think Auckland are the favourites to to sign him as a marquee player. He'll be a great he'll be a great addition for them. But you know what? If the Raw can get a few miles out of him, 12, 12 games to go. If he can, if he can you know, score six goals in that in the next twelve games, you know, I think the Raw will be would be better for it. Yeah. Okay. Now, Scott, we'll get to what you wanted to jump to, and you're right. I like I really like the player in terms of the acquisition, but where does he fit in in this team? Because it sort of feels like you're adding to an already stacked room of the attacking midfielders and wingers well firstly I'll say what what you were talking about with Adam I do agree it probably is a case of this is a fill the gap between now and signing with Auckland that certainly does appear to be what could be on the cards although if he goes well for the Raw maybe they can get in quickly and potentially sign him up that might not be might not be out of the question but good luck good luck compared to Bill Foley's money that's a very good point but it's interesting because it is, they've kind of said he's a forward, and are they counting him as like a wide forward or a central forward? Because I don't think I've ever seen him play as a number nine. I'm not saying he can't play as a number nine. Maybe he hasn't had the opportunity to do so, but he could be really, really effective in that role. If he, play, if he plays the positions that we've seen him play in the A-League previously, which is either as a wide, mid, wide 
midfielder or winger most dominantly, or briefly as a 10. The Raw have a lot of players who play in those areas. And this is the full list, James. It's Mila Usnich, Lofthouse, Hall, Armiento, Parsons, Jelicic, Berenguer, McNichol, Cahill, and Mijok. That's a lot of players who fill those positions. Now, I know some of them are younger players on the periphery and all the rest of it. That's a lot of players who fill those positions. So how it all shakes out, I'm not sure. One thing I will say is he's at Ben Khan signing, so he's playing. That's the first part of it. He's going to be in that attacking lineup somewhere. Whether it's as a nine or as a wide player, we'll have to wait and see. It'll be interesting to see if he plays Friday night and where he does fit in, but he's going to play. It's just where the rest of the players fit in around him. That's a very interesting thing, because I don't recall ever seeing him play as a nine. So if that's the plan, I'll be very interested to see how that works. He's certainly got the pace to run in behind. That could be an interesting way of playing, but I've now, I haven't seen it, so it would be very, very interesting. I, I do like the signing. Though. I think as a signing, he brings quality and experience, and the team needs it. I feel like he's a like he, he's probably going to take Milayusic's spot on one of the wings. It's a bit harsh, Milayusic. He's been pretty good. It lately. is. It is. But I mean, has to be really, really fast to catch him to take the place. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're right. I I feel like that's the only position that hasn't really been addressed with recruitment in the last little while where, you know, the midfield spots, they've brought in Berenguer, they've re-signed O'Shea, uh, they've brought in Coletti, they've kept Gamulka around and moved Truen into those sort of defensive and attacking central midfield spots. Out wide, they've recruited Jelicic, and up front, they've clearly committed to the combination of Waddingham and Markovsky. So that just leaves that other wing spot, and as you're right, it's Ben Khan signing, so he's going to be playing and you know forgive me for going into NFL parlance but we are closing in on the Super Bowl but the way I mentioned it to you guys when the signing was announced it almost feels like they're trying to give someone like Waddingham or Markovsky whoever's playing that lead striker role they're always trying to treat them like Brock Purdy for the San Francisco 49ers where you've got a young player still a lot of development to happen And they're just trying to put as many good players around him as possible and saying, all right, the best way for Waddingham to succeed is to have the opposition worried about Berenguer pulling the strings in midfield with O'Shea and take your pick uh, behind him. And then on the wings, you've got Jelicic and Rojas with Milayuznic, Armiento, Hoare, Lofthouse, take your pick of wingers uh, to call upon as well. So it just feels like that's probably where they're trying to build up their strength in that midfield and that's just where I see this going let's say that's right hypothetically that the raw I could be I, up the, atta- I, I've been the attacking twice. line behind a Markovsky and a Waddingham and a Brownlee four into three Jelicic Berenguer Hoare Rojas who doesn't who, who's on the bench it's it's a great question it's great it's a great select headache for a coach that doesn't it doesn't even mention the other players but it does suggest that that attacking midfield line now for the raw does look very, very strong if that's where Rojas is going to fit in. You know what it does but, kind of remind me of? Sorry, Adam, just quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what it does kind of remind me of? That year where I think it was just after Jamie McLaren had left and we were all expecting Brett Holman and... Was Borello still around that year? Where I I, I just remember... No, Borello left the same time as the whole, as McLaren. Okay, well, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, I remember Brett Holman and whoever was playing on the wings uh, either side of him that year... I remember I was saying, like, okay, maybe... I think it was Macaroni was a striker. Maybe he doesn't score 
more than would have been Ben Kalfala. Yeah, that's it. So Ben Kalfala, uh, Holman, and someone else would have been sort of shouldering that main attacking load, and Macaroni was just there as a finisher. So maybe it's that same sort of thing, except instead of going for the aging Italian veteran, you've got the uh, NPL product in Markovsky or the up-and-coming hotshot in Waddingham um, in that sort of role. I was just just looking at it. Maybe maybe there's a formation change. Maybe they maybe Ben Curran goes to four four two. Because yeah. um, it, look it, until we actually see it and everyone's back on deck and what and that what would be the what would be the best eleven players uh, the Raw have will have available. I think that will show. I think Friday night. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be very very interesting to see if if uh, Rojas is is um 100 and he's ready to he's ready to go. Uh, yeah, I think we're gonna get very uh, a big insight on how uh, Ben Khan sort of starts progressing this team forward and sort of playing his way. Yeah, I agree with. That. I think it'll be very interesting to see how they line up on Friday night. But in addition to the fact of the quality and experience that Rojas brings, which I think is really important to this team. I really like it because it puts a lot of pressure on those other attacking midfield players who've had their chances and maybe haven't nailed down a position so far this season and in the, in the year, years past that are still at the club. It puts pressure on those players now to, to step up and say, hey, no, this is my position, I'm playing here. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of competition for places there now in those attacking midfield positions. There's a lot of players there who can fill those positions. So I like that in fact. There's a lot of competition there. A lot of players fighting for position, so it'd be very interesting to see how that does shake out. Something just uh, popped into my mind as well. Corey Brown's post-game interview with Channel 10 after the game uh, down in Gosford, talking about wanting to play on the front foot, it feels like this maybe has been a bit of an admission that this team needs to score more goals. You look at the recruitment, Jelicic has that like front foot playing ability to use the quote from Saturday night, and Rojas is another player that can get on the front foot, can create opportunities, and can score himself. So maybe this is an admission, and again, I've got the um, ladder up now. Western United, 11 goals from 13 games. Um, Yeah, and the Raw scored 22 goals in 15 matches. That is the second, equal second lowest. Um, And technically, it is worse uh, than the Wanderers, who have 22 goals in 14 matches. So if you're doing the division, which I really hope I'm right on, by the way. That's the second worst goals per game average in the league this year, and it sounds like, you know, with the defence not being as resolute as it has been in previous years, maybe they're realising they're going to have to score two, three, even four goals to win some of these matches going forward because they've got a really tough run home, and um, we'll hold the Socceroo stuff right to the very end and just go right into Friday night against Wellington at Suncorp because their Raw have 12 games left I think generally speaking 36 points has been enough to get into the finals maybe with the 27th game they might need to get to 37-38 so you're looking at 20 points from 12 games that is absolutely achievable for even an average team but it does feel like the Raw have little to no margin for error Scott it does, and look, it should be achievable what you're saying, but they have a very, very tough run. And as much as it it sounds ridiculous to say it has to start Friday night against the league leaders, I think it actually does need to start against them because they have four games left against the top two, two against Melbourne Victory, two 
against Wellington Phoenix. So home and away against both of those sides. They have away trips to Sydney FC, who've beaten them twice this year, and West Sydney, who are, I think, third on the table at the moment. They also have to go to Perth, which, okay, they're struggling on the field, but from time zone perspective, if that's a night game in Perth, that's always a very difficult one because of the, the body clock issues that players have from the East Coast kicking off games at what is essentially 10 o'clock at night for them. That's always a difficult one. Then they have home games against City, Western United, MacArthur, Adelaide, Newcastle. So there's there's scope there with the home games, James, but the, what the away games are very, very difficult. So I think it actually needs to start Friday night against Wellington Phoenix, who, yes, they're playing really well at the top of the table and they're pushing for potentially a home a home grand final or at least a top two spot. I think the Raw need to come out firing on Friday night and pick up three points here because they are running out of games, not just in terms of at home, but also winnable games because some of those road games are very, very difficult. Four of the next five at home, I would say, yeah, right now you need to be looking at probably six points from those games just to keep yourself afloat. Plus, I feel that Perth game is probably going to be a must-win as well. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the run-in, and there are five games which I would look at and say, yeah, I think if the Raw play at close to their potential, they should win. There are a couple more, most notably Western Sydney, where I think if you catch them on a bad day, and consistency has been a real issue for the Wanderers. You know, those are absolutely winnable, but not necessarily ones I would be counting on. And Look, I'm not going to try and turn into the raw marketing department here, but 26th of April, final game against Adelaide United at Suncorp Stadium. That's prob- that could potentially be a win-and-in scenario for both teams. And you just hope that all these games, like last year, where they all carry some meaning. It, it, it's certainly doable, but they really need to yeah pick it up and go from there. Now, if they lose to Wellington, Melbourne City becomes must-win. If they draw, Melbourne City still must-win. If they beat Wellington, which I'm not counting on, then it becomes a very different... Then, you know, it's almost a free hit against Melbourne City. Adam? Those four... Sorry, it's four, Adam. Those four games home games you're referring to are Wellington Phoenix this weekend, then, then Melbourne City, then it's Perth away, then it's Western at home, Melbourne Victory at home. So it's two. it's the top two teams there plus Western who are struggling and then Melbourne City who I think I'm expecting a big bounce back factor given what happened last time. So two tough games there and then two you might be able to get some points out of. So I, I get your point, but these four games at home in five are very, very crucial. Sorry, go ahead, Adam. Yeah, I, I, for, for mine um, at this stage, I know you, you guys are focusing on the run home. Uh, I, I'm, I've subscribed to all season for, for a while now that you know any team can beat any team from, from 1 to 12 on their given day and I think the important thing for the Raw at the moment is to find a consistency they, they they need to sort of at least improve on the performance they had against the Mariners which is probably the only game I'd say recently with, with the Mariners sort of in the form they're in uh, was, was always going to be tough to get a win I think if, if they had have somehow gotten a draw I think that would have been a, a great effort uh, so but they've lost three in a row, and they've lost uh, eight of their last nine. So I think that's the first thing that the Raw need to get is a, is a consistent, um, a consistent game. Whereas uh, Wellington are unbeaten their last four. So it's all about consistency in this league at the moment, I think. And if the Raw can at least, you know, get their performances up to scratch, then you know who knows. You know, especially on what is probably going to be a, a frightfully muggy night 
at Suncorp Stadium, which, again, I don't know if Wellington are going to be too happy playing these conditions. That's a sort of, um, I guess, a home field advantage that the Raw needs if they can pull off an upset. And it will be an upset if they can knock off Wellington on Friday night. But, again, the performance first, then the result. And I think that's what, at this stage, I think it's what Ben Carr needs to be asking for. Because I think if you start putting equations in and, you know, oh, you, know, you need to win you know, two of your next four games even be a hope, you know, I think it's a case of every team in this league is capable of beating beating another when when they're on song or the other team has an off night. Absolutely. I need to move on, James. I was just going to say, given how much the Wellington Phoenix and Nilly Fever dislike Marco Rojas, how much more will they dislike him if he scores the winner on Friday night? Uh, given where they are on the table, for them, this is a, for them, this is a huge opportunity to kick five points clear of Melbourne victory in the race for the Premiership, which for them, I imagine, is something they're starting to really, really focus in on. Yeah. Uh, well, Wellington home field advantage away to the finals. That would be an APL nightmare. Yeah, but it And I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I'll tell you that much. I'm all for it. Not because I want to stick to APL, but I think it would be fantastic because if Wellington hosts the grand final, I keep on saying Mine that New perfect, Zealand derby next year, that is going to be fire. Um, and we've kind of... Well, we're starting to run out of time, so I'll have to go through the women's preview relatively quickly but ninth place Raw hosting uh, 8th place Melbourne victory if the Raw beat them like they did in round 1 they're moving up the ladder again so Adam more of the same this week more of the same and don't more of the same and don't allow Emily Gillick shoot, shoot from about 35 yards out because that went badly but uh, look I don't think there's much more that we can sort of add to that other than do what they did against Wanderers, and if, if they can sort of keep it together, it could be another three points, and their season is well and truly alive. Scott? Yeah, the Raw Court victory is short on the opening day, didn't they? They had a couple of players on the level, including Emily Gionic. They're now back, so it'll be a very different encounter, but the Raw are playing well and they're at home, and when they're playing well and they're at home, they're always just getting something out of the game. I think if they can come away with something out of this game, it's a good result. Sun, I know victory are not in the finals well. yet, but I think they will be in the finals by the time the season ends. So if you can get something off them now, it could be a crucial, crucial point. And I will say as well, um, if you're around Brisbane or southeast Queensland, uh, 6.45 kickoff against Wellington at Suncorp on Friday night and a 5pm, is it 5pm kickoff? I'm just, sorry, I'm, just, I'm just looking that up now. Yes, it is 5pm. Yeah. 5pm uh, at uh, Parc de Paris on Saturday afternoon. So get out to those games Prime as well. time. Get out there. For sure. And hopefully it will be dry uh, this weekend as well. Uh, final question for both of you. Soccer is in for the Asian Cup quarterfinals. Will we be talking about a possible semi-final when we reconvene in a week's time? Scott? They're... That's a fantastic question. They'll be playing the winner of the Saudi Arabia-South Korea round of 16 game. Well, they're going to have a couple of days of recovery time on the month. That's that's something that is genuinely a factor, what the Socceroos played Monday. I think that game is being played tonight when we're recording our time. So that's a 48-hour recovery time. Fingers crossed for an energy-sapping 120 minutes there. I think that whoever wins that game probably starts favourite over the Socceroos in truth. We just... Australia just haven't looked at their best in this tournament. They're not... They're getting the results, but it's not convincing. So, they're going to have to play a lot better than they have in the previous four games in a quarterfinal against Korea Republic or Saudi Arabia, but maybe the extra two days 
will help them. But I think I think it's a tough ask to beat either of those teams in in the quarterfinal personally. Saudi Arabia get through, I think the Socceroos probably will exit. If South Korea get through, I actually think that Socceroos could sneak past them. I think that Socceroos probably match up a little better against uh, South Korea. Uh, they got to keep, obviously, Son uh, Ming uh, quiet. But, uh, but yeah, look, I, th- I think that... Uh, I-, I always think that, especially in Qatar, uh, that the, the well, West Asian teams are always going to be tougher. They match up better against the Socceroos. But yeah, I think that tonight's game is going. I think I do think it's going to go penalties. I, I honestly think uh, that this game tonight between South Korea and Saudi it's go to pen, pens. Let them kill each other, basically. So, <laughs> couple so of yeah, reds. but yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, no, but but um, but also as well, looking at the Socceroos as well, uh, they're going to need they're going to need to lift uh, their their performance. And it's but at least it's at a very very familiar stadium. Where the Socceroos have done well at the Al Janoub Stadium. Is that the Star Delecki? Yep, it is. Beautiful. Now, that is very odd scheduling, that, by the way. One round of 16 game is on a Monday. The opponent's playing on a Wednesday. That's very, very weird I think that, that they've, I, they've scheduled it in that way. I think that's a quirk of the draw with the third place finishes. Yeah, I Quite possibly. I, it, it just really does give the advantage to the team who played on Monday, which in this case is Australia, so we won't complain about it. But if you're Korea or Saudi Arabia and you get through, you're not going to be overly pleased with that, eh? I would say if it's South Korea, I will be stunned purely because it seems like they've got massive dysfunction going on uh, behind the scenes as well. And yeah, Saudi Arabia in a tournament in the Middle East, I think they're going to be looking to make plenty of noise here. Um, But yeah, hopefully this one goes to penalties. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, And all I will say is, yeah, I would much rather see the Socceroos winning uh, you know, every game 4 or 5 nil and being up 4 or 5 nil at half time before going on cruise control but it's tournament football style points don't really matter results do I think there are some issues that are, if they're not addressed are going to come back to bite Australia later in the tournament but that same regard I think this team is capable of getting into a street fight and scrapping their way to a win so I don't know if... Do you not think we're getting to that point in the tournament now, though, James, where these issues you're referring to will start to bite them when they're playing against either Korea or Saudi? Oh, I, I 100% agree that they will, but I also think they're, they're a team that... Again, it's super cliché, but I just feel like, you know, maybe they turn it into a game where those issues aren't as necessarily prevalent if they turn it into one of those midfield scraps rather than... and. Again, you try and utilise someone like Harry Sutar from a set piece. Jag a goal, win 1-0, and sort of do the reverse of how Jordan knocked them out five years ago. Something like that. Yeah, it works. Yeah. So, anyway, we'll just have to wait and see how that I, w- I will say this much as well, that, um, like so I said, the, cool the winner... The winner, like I said, the winner of, this, <laughs> of that game, you know, like, of that, of that quarterfinal, it's the Kikistan or Jordan in that... that but will come from the other side that... That draw. So even though respect to both teams, uh, I think uh, yeah, Saudi Arabia, South Korea, and Australia would fancy themselves uh, if they can get they can get through this part of the draw. Yeah, without automatically dismissing Tajikistan and Jordan, it feels like whoever wins that quarterfinal is going to at least make it to the final. And if it's Saudi Arabia, I think it'll be Jordan in the semi-final. They play better football than Tajikistan, but 
Jordan are actually on the rise. They're going quite well. They're going well, well yeah. yeah. No, that's what I mean. No, no disrespect, respect for that, especially in the Middle East. But like I said, I would say that you know, both Australia, South Korea and, uh, and uh, Saudi Arabia would fancy their chances against Jordan. Yes. All right. Well, that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Scott. Good to talk to you guys again. We'll talk to you again next week when hopefully we are talking about the Socceroos into the semi-finals of the Asian Cup. We can only hope. Thank you, Adam. Stay dry. Yeah, I will. And thank you and good night. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll hope to see you out at Suncorp Stadium Friday, Parc de Paris on Saturday, or maybe one of the uh, local games this Sunday. Because um, we can't be in two places at once, as we all know. And we will say thank you, everyone, for listening. We appreciate the support. Stay tuned next week for another episode of the Brisbane Football Review and our NPL Women's 2024 season preview. A whole lot more coming your way. Enjoy the football this weekend. Good night.